0: be stoned or shot with arrows, and not a hand is to be laid on him, whether man or animal he shall not be permitted to live okay so this sounded like a good meeting until then and now it's uh, this is a you know little little um, yeah okay now only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain okay, very interesting okay verse 14 then. After Moses had gone down to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. Okay, let's pause there for just a moment. So here they've done it, they've gone, they've done for two days, they've done the consecrating work. And you know, it's kind of fun sometimes to put yourselves in the the scripture. But can you imagine what that must have been like as they're preparing and now they've heard Moses' instruction um, to consecrate themselves, to wash their clothes, to purify themselves? Um, and for two days, they're doing this. For two days, they're preparing for what's going to happen when the Lord and His presence comes down on Mount Sinai, and they get to see, even though it's a smoky sea, and they get to hear His voice as He speaks, uh, they're preparing for the time. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine the excitement that that must have been like? Hey, three days, we get to see God. Uh, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, that's pretty exciting stuff. It must have been very exciting, but it also must have been very terrifying. Um, because of the Lord's dreadful presence, <laughs> because of his incredible power, because of his incredible holiness and his majesty. And uh, we're going to read about that here in, in the coming verses. So um, on, for two days they get ready. Interestingly enough, how long was it until they saw the Lord's the revelation of the Lord? Was, don't be afraid. Yes, three days. And so um, in three days, does that sound familiar to anyone, seeing the revelation of God in three days? at all relate to any other passage, any other story you know. Interesting, isn't it? Yes, Jonah, that's not where you're going. Jonah was in the well for three days, and, uh, uh, and then he was seen again, the prophet was seen again. And then Jesus too said, uh, one time he said, uh, th- whenever they asked him for a sign, he said, the only sign you're going to see is the sign of Jonah, meaning in three days that he would be shown in the revelation of God in the power of his resurrection. On purpose, right, to all this. This is all pointing 100,000 signs in the Old Testament pointing to what God was going to do in the fulfillment of all of His plan in Jesus Christ, and this is no different. You know, I heard someone say, and I just have been getting this over about the last six months or so, you read the Old Testament with, lens, with New Testament lenses. If you want to understand the Old Testament, you've got to know the New Testament to be able to understand it. Three days has significance because Jesus was raised in three days, right? <laughs> Um, It is significant and is another time again and again and again that the Old Testament is pointing and showing my salvation is coming, my plan, everything is coming to this one point in time where my servant would come on earth and he would die for your sins and you would get his righteousness and he would take away your sins for all time. And here it is pointing again and again in even two or three different ways in this story. But anyway, on verse 16, on the morning of the third day, that would be a great name for a group too, wouldn't it? On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a, click, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So you know, can you imagine here the people are and, and they're, go up, they're going to go up to the mountain, not on the mountain, but they're going to go up to the mountain. They're going to break camp and go up to where the mountain is. And then here's what they see, thunder, lightning, thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp. What we're going to hear about trembling a couple of times in the story. The first one is, is the people. What trembled? The people trembled. Why do you suppose they were trembling? It was. It was frightening. It was a frightening sight to see God, and not that they could actually see God, but because of all the smoke. And you remember in the Holy of Holies, even when the priest entered the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, they they had to light incense and they had to light a fire. They had had to burn incense there in the Holy of Holies because even the priest could not see God as he was there on the um, mercy seat. He could not be seen there, his presence in between the two cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant, but that place had to be covered with smoke so that God's view was obscured because His presence was so fearsome, so holy, so very different from you and I, so very, if I can, I'm not going to use that term, I hate it, never mind, so very different from you and I that it drove people to their knees in fear of God. Like Isaiah would say later on, he would say uh, went there when he saw God, and he had a revelation of God in his throne room and he fell to his knees and he said, woe is me, I am undone. Yeah. That's awesome power, isn't it? To drive someone to their knees and say, I am undone before you. But that's how people felt in the presence of God in the Old Testament. They're driven to their knees in fear and trembling because of his incredible holiness and their knowledge then, I am so lacking. And it, it and, um, Revelation teaches, I think it's Revelation, can't remember, one of the prophets teaches that, that people in the end times, whenever God is going to judge them, they're going to wish, they're going to ask God, just cover me with a mountain, just drop a mountain on because I can't stand to be seen by you. I'm embarrassed and ashamed and I'm guilty before you in their sin. And yet, because they stand before a perfectly holy and a fearsomely holy God. And that's what the people are seeing here in, uh, on Mount Sinai. Then Moses, in verse 17, led the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Fire often in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, right, in the, uh, um, on the day of Pentecost is a symbol of God. Um, descended on it in fire. This, that would have been interesting a little bit, wouldn't it? Descended in fire. That mean I wonder if that means in his presence that. If if we could have seen him, if they could have seen him, if it just looked like a fiery being. I think probably so. You remember cherubim means uh, a, a fiery one, right? Anyway, interesting. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. So what? Not only were the pim- people shaking, but the, the mountain itself under the power and the majesty and the authority of God was trembling beneath his feet? <laughs> presence, whatever, um, was trembling beneath his, uh, his presence, and the whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew, grew louder and louder. And so if you can imagine, as the people are approaching the mountain, they're seeing this fearsome display of thunder and lightning and smoke and, and billowing smoke coming from the mountain, and, and the mountain begins to shake because of the Lord's might and his power, and it uh, <clears throat> would have been an exciting day. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. What an incredible, amazing thing. Just, you know, just so that the people could know that God really did speak to Moses. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called to Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people. So here he's warning them again. So they do not force their their way through to see the Lord and may many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the lord must consecrate themselves or the lord will break out against them. I love that. I need to go look that up in in Hebrew and see what it says. But when the lord's breaking out against you, I'm guessing that's a bad day for you. Amen. All right, breaking out against them. I I, got to look that up. I I, got to figure out what that means. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up uh, up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. Then the Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through, through, to come up to the Lord, or He will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, gentle reminder: Don't come up the mountain. Okay, and then turn with me over in. Um, we're gonna be that was uh, nineteen. Turn over with me in chapter twenty, and we're gonna read verses eighteen through twenty-one. Listen, to what happens? So in between there, God speaks the Ten Commandments, and then in verse eighteen of chapter twenty. Here's, what hap- here, here's how the people responded to the, uh, the great uh, uh, pleasure of being in the Lord's presence. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they what? They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Okay, uh, that's very funny. So here they are, these people in incredible courage say, I, I, I don't think I'm going to go up there. Uh, Moses, uh, let, let, let's take nominations. Yeah, Moses, Moses, you go up, and we'll just hang back here. You go up and speak with God, and we're good. You know, you just tell us what he says. We're fine. We're good with that. Um, courageous people, no doubt. Um, but uh, but, but don't, don't miss it. The people could not stand in his presence, and they didn't want to be there in his presence, but they stood back. What an incredible opportunity to be able to, to experience at least some of the view of God and experience some of his presence, but they were so terrified because of their own sin and because of God's uh, just ferocious holiness that they stood back and said, uh, no, Moses, you speak, and uh, we're good back here. Um, let's see. Let's continue here for just another minute. And um, oh, you know what? Here's what. Here's what I, where I need to break. Uh, tell you something else. This is a this is an interesting place here because what the people are saying is what is that we want someone between us and God. We want someone to stand in the presence of God because we cannot. Be there. We can't stand to be in the presence of God or we will die. But someone, we need someone to stand between us and God. And so, yes, Moses, you go and and you stand between us. What do we call someone who stands between two parties? We call him a mediator. And he said, "You, Moses, you go and you mediate between us and God. We can't be in his presence, but you can. And so you mediate on our behalf, and we're going to stand back, and we're going to listen to what you say. We're going to do what you say because we know now that it comes from God, but you stand between us because we're too afraid to be in his presence. And the people not knowing it, but were asking for a mediator. They were asking for God to complete his work and his plan. And and they were asking for, and they didn't know it, but they were asking for the Lord Jesus Christ, weren't they? They were asking for Jesus. They didn't know it. They didn't recognize it. They didn't know what God's plan was until we turn over to Deuteronomy here in just a moment. But but, uh, they were asking for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they recognized, listen, they recognized the need. We need someone who can stand in the holy presence of God, and it's not us. We need someone who can stand there in his fearsome presence and mediate on our behalf and so that that God can speak to him and then he'll speak to us and he can teach us and he can tell us whatever God says, but we can't be in his presence. We need an intercessor. We need an intermediary. We need a mediator. And what they're asking for without knowing it is they're asking for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, did I finish 20? No. 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Pretty good motivation, isn't it? All right? Scared to death and uh, keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Okay. So here the people stand back and Moses continues to walk into the thick smoke where God in his presence was there on Mount Sinai. An amazing story. Um, people marveled at Moses because they said Moses is like no other prophet because when he speaks to God, it is like a man speaking to another man. The the, the phrase face-to-face is where this comes from. He speaks to God as face-to-face. They had never seen anyone like it. They'd never seen anything like it where someone could go in the presence of God, so near to the presence of God, and deal with him face-to-face. But God was doing this as a foreshadow of someone else to come. Moses was not the supreme prophet. N- Moses was not the supreme ultimate mediator. This was a foreshadowing for you and I to read a couple of thousand years later so that we would know there was another one coming who could stand in the presence of God. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, so there we are. And, and notice what he, what he says here is that this is to deal with your sin. This is to deal with your sin so that you can see the fearsome holiness of God and so that you could understand that your sin is serious. Because like I tried to tell you last week, right, um, your sin is serious not just because sin's bad, but because against the person whom you've sinned against. You've sinned against a holy and righteous, and I mean, I mean fearsomely, dreadfully holy God. And it's the person against whom you've sinned that is makes your sin so serious. You know, if I were to walk up and slap Janae, that would be a bad thing. If I were to walk up and slap the President of the United States, I'd be arrested. True. I shouldn't even talk like that. There's going to be guys here next week. Um, uh, That would be an entirely different thing. The person you've offended and the one that you've offended, and you and I have offended in God, we've offended the holy and righteous one. That's why our sin is so dreadful and horrible and why there is such consequence to it, because we've sinned against our holy and awesome, righteous God. Okay, Um, there would be another prophet, though, if you would turn with me to to Deuteronomy then fifth book there in the old testament <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 18 this is Moses still speaking so Moses Moses we believe right wrote the uh, first five books of the bible so this is Moses still teaching his people telling him what he's learned from the lord and in Deuteronomy chapter 18 we're going to pick up in verse 15 And here, Moses is going to give a prophecy. We don't think of Moses as a prophet, but as the lawgiver, but he worked as a prophet also in speaking on behalf of the Lord. And so he says in verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Let me pause there for just a moment. So Moses is saying, look, there's another one coming. This sounds a lot like what John the Baptist says, isn't it? John the Baptist ministered and, and taught, but he said, there's another one coming. And so all these guys were foreshadowing and foretelling about what was coming. This one who would come, and this one was the coming prophet. And by the way, you'll see this—you'll see some mention of the prophet and the Pharisees. The people of Israel understood this, this as a prophecy about the coming prophet, the one who would come, who would be like Moses. They knew it very well, and they were anticipating him and expecting him. And that's why some people were confused, thinking that maybe this was the prophet whenever the Lord Jesus Christ came. And he was okay, and uh, that wasn't confusion. In verse fifteen, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. <clears throat> you must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, "Let us not hear the voice of the Lord or, or, or Lord our God, nor see his great fire any more, or we will die." So what he's doing, he's going back and quoting from Exodus chapter nineteen and twenty, and he says. The Lord said to me, so this is Moses speaking. He said, the Lord said to me, what they say is good. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> so how is that? Why is it that it's good that they asked, that they said, we don't want to be in the Lord's presence. You speak on our behalf. You, you go and you speak on the Lord's behalf. You be a mediator for, the, for us. And God said, what they say is good. Why is it good? Well, because it matched up with what God's plan was and what was God's plan God would bring a mediator between him and us because we needed it. We needed it dreadfully. We needed it superbly. We needed it desperately for someone to come and stand between us and God because of his awesome holiness and our terrible sinfulness. And in verse 17, the Lord said to me what they say is good. Their desire for a mediator, that's good. That's good. They need it, and it is my plan for them. I will raise up from among them a prophet like you, from among their brothers, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. How far am I going in this? Uh, 19. Okay. Um, If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. Okay. Very quickly. He says Jesus is going to do a couple things. He would be, he would be a, a, like a brother to them. He would be from among them. He would be like any other ordinary man, right? He would be like a brother to them, but he would have an extraordinary role because he would stand before God and mediate on his behalf, and he would speak the words of God to his people. Does that sound like anyone you know? Yes, of course it does. That is exactly the Lord Jesus Christ that's been described here. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who's been who's been given the Word of God to speak to people and who would mediate on their behalf, and yet at the same time would have come from them. It's the incarnation described here, isn't it? Who who could stand in the presence of God? Only one who is holy. Who who could who could who could stand there in His throne room and belong there and have any claim to it? Only God Himself. In, in the revelation of the Son of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who could be there. He is the only one who could fulfill that role ultimately and superbly as he did. He was the only one who could be both fully God and fully man and be in the right position there as a mediator between God and man. So just really quickly before we move on, how did it go with the people's first meeting with God? Not so, not so good, right? <laughs> People were scared to death. <clears throat> Ultimately, maybe a little driven away because they were so afraid. But here's the good thing. They recognize their need for a Savior. They recognize their need for someone to stand in between them and God. And they recognize the need for something to be done for their sin. And God said, what they say is good. This, this is a good thing. This is what the plan is. Now, turn over in the New Testament with me in, in Mark chapter 6, please. This will be the last that we read today. Mark chapter 6. Did I say that right the first time? Mark chapter 6. We're going to read just a little bit in, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. I want you to notice there are, there are three different responses here to people's reaction. There are three different reactions to, to what's being done. So follow along with me. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue Synagogue? Synagogue, wow. And synagogue, like Cinnabon or something. Okay, and many who heard him were what? Amazed. Okay, they heard his teaching and they were amazed. Mark loves to use that term. They were amazed by what he taught and they should be, right? I mean, this is the creator of the universe coming to teach them. He might have a little something to say, right? He might have, know what he's talking about. And when he spoke, it was not like someone who quoted, well, this rabbi says this, and that rabbi says this, and I think this. When Jesus spoke, it's like, well, here's how it is, right? And this was the authority he spoke with when he just told people, this is how it is. I'm telling you, this is the truth and it is not just man's opinion when he taught. In uh, the middle of verse 2 then, Where did this man get these things, they asked? Was it, w- what's this wisdom that he's been given, that he, does, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Let me Pause there for just a moment. <clears throat> Jesus goes back to his hometown. And there in his hometown, no one, everyone sees him in his human form and says, this guy's a carpenter. The term carpenter maybe means mason, maybe means some sort of smith, doesn't really matter here. But uh, this guy's a carpenter, this guy's a laborer like us. And we know his mom and his brothers and his sisters. We know his family. He's common. How could he be teaching these things? And because they saw Jesus as a common man, they couldn't accept the extraordinary things he was saying and doing. And they were what? Offended at him. How could he, this common man, be teaching these incredible things? And they were offended by him. Pretty incredible. Okay, let's continue. And listen to what happens next. Um, Verse 4, Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and, and heal them and listen to Jesus' response, his reaction. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Because they knew him as just a common, ordinary man, they could not accept him for who he was. Couldn't accept him for who he was, and they were offended by that. Uh, let me drill this down. I'm going to finish here really quickly. Are you ready? We all know that we have a need for a mediator. Amen we all, when we see what Jesus Christ has done and how he was foreshadowed to be the one to stand between us and God. And in those last days, in that judgment day, here's the deal, is that when you and I get to heaven and we stand before the judgment throne of God, we have an intercessor there. We have someone who's gonna stand alongside us and he's gonna say, I paid the penalty for his sin and this one belongs to me. We have a mediator, and when you prepare to meet God, and let me say, I've gotten to do a few funerals here while I've been at Calvary, and uh, let me tell you, people, whenever they're about to die, there is some fear if they don't know for sure what's going to happen, and there should be some fear when they don't know what's going to happen. Um, I met a lady who um, was scared to death because she had gone to Calvary here some time ago. I've been here at Calvary for 22 years, I guess. I didn't know her. And she was scared to ask. She's like, is my name still on the roll in, of your Sunday school class? It's like, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your name's on the roll. But that's what she was clinging to something. She was trying to cling on to something. She hadn't been in church for so long that she was looking and clinging for something. And I just said to her, I was like, it doesn't matter where you, where you attended. It doesn't matter even if you attended, although it's good to attend. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, but what matters is if Jesus the intermediary, our mediator, if he knows you or not. And if he doesn't know you on that day, then you're going to face that judgment, that fearsome holiness of God like the Israelites did that day. You're going to face it alone. And you're going to be asking for a mountain to come and cover you because you don't want to be seen by the holy eyes of our Lord God. This is tough stuff. This is difficult stuff. But there will be people, if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to be standing in God's judgment alone. Listen, you and I know people who are like that today. They're offended at Jesus because they can't believe what he says is true. They can't accept him for who he is. And what we need to do is be praying for them because this is a serious matter. And you and I don't want for them to to be standing in the presence of God all by themselves today. And like Isaiah say, woe is me. I am undone in your presence. I have no one to stand beside me. I have no one to intervene for me and to stand there in his presence. This is a serious matter. This is something that we should be talking about with our loved ones, with our family members, with our neighbors, with your classmates, with your uh, coworkers. This is a serious thing. And I don't mean that you, you know, necessarily go to them and says, if you died today, would you know where you were going to spend eternity? Maybe not the right approach. Start with love. Love is always a good place to start. Amen? Start with love and compassion and care for them, all right? And a friendship with them because you really have a concern for them. But here's the other part for us as believers. When we stand before God one day, it's not going to be judgment. When we stand before God one day, it's not going to be just the fearsome holiness of God and us hiding. It'll be Jesus standing alongside us and saying, he's one of mine. I paid the penalty for his or her sin. And now my righteous life covers over him. And now, God, you are pleased with him as you are with me. That's amazing transformation that's happened in our lives, amen? An amazing transformation. And so listen, for you and I, there is no fear in death. There is no fear in judgment because there is now no longer, Paul writes, any condemnation. There's none left for us. It was all 100% of your sin. It was all paid for by Jesus Christ on that one act on the cross, that one day in all of his suffering. And now when we stand before God, we don't hide in his presence. But man, it's like a family reunion. He's adopted you into his family. And when, and when you and I reach him and when you and I meet him, don't you, don't you look forward to, to, to seeing loved ones gone before? Don't you look forward to seeing Jesus Christ as he is? Don't you look forward to, to seeing God as, as he is? And don't you look forward to receiving a reward for the things you did in Jesus' name and by the heart that he's placed in you and how he's changed you? And that day for us is going to be like a great reunion. No fear. No worry, no fearsome worry about God's judgment or His holiness in that day. But on that day, we'll stand there with our, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll, and and uh, He'll speak to us. And I long to hear the words, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Don't you? Don't you? All right. Let me um, let me close with this. Um, it's not only that we get to be in the Lord's presence whenever we die, but the promise is, is that we get to be in the Lord's presence from day to day if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know that mediator? And not only do you know him, I think most of you do here this morning, but are you amazed at what he's done? Are you in? enjoying the presence of God that's been opened up for you. I talked today about meeting God in the Old Testament. I talked today about meeting God in the future someday when God's putting everything under the rule and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But today, you can prepare and meet Him here today and every day Because of the work of Jesus Christ. He's torn the veil that separates us. He's blown the smoke out of the holy of holies. He's blown the smoke off the mountains. And he says, step into my throne room. And not only that, but Paul says, step into it. And the writer of Hebrews, step into his presence boldly. Because you're covered with a holy and righteous life of Jesus Christ. When you get ready in the mornings or at night. When you have your quiet time. Prepare to meet God. Prepare to meet him. Because he is... There, if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is there and you can see him and you can meet him every single moment of every single day because of the incredible work that Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that every, single, every soul here has come to know you as that great mediator, as the one who would, who would mediate and, and stand between us and you and, and your awesome and fearsome holiness and, and our, our, our terrible sinfulness and the darkness of our hearts. And, Lord, we thank you that not only is Jesus a mediator, but he also, we know him as our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who's cleansed us from all of our sins so that we can stand in your presence even this morning, that we can know what it is to to walk right into your throne room and and make our requests known to you, Lord God. And we recognize that it's only possible, it's not because of anything we've done, not because we found any righteousness, any, uh, any goodness in ourselves, but because of the goodness that you've imputed to us by his holy and righteous life and that great exchange where we get his holy and righteous life and he takes away all of our sin. Lord, we just revel in that today. And I pray, Lord, your people here at Calvary, this, Lord, for this week to pause and to meditate and to be amazed and in awe of all that you've done. Lord, when we, are, when we get up in the mornings, when we have our quiet times then or our quiet times at night or, or both was even better, whatever, or any time during the day that we know that we are prepared to meet you because of what he's done. So, Lord, help us not to take this for granted. But, Lord God, because we can be in your throne room, let us be in your throne room. And because of the work that Jesus Christ has done, let us march in boldly because of his great work and make a request known to you, and worship you, and meditate on you, uh, Lord, throughout the day. Let us be amazed by you again, Lord God, we pray. Let us these, these words, these things that we read about, let them not be so familiar that we've forgotten the power of them all. Lord, we thank you for your great work. We thank you that you've prepared us to meet you, and Lord, we look forward to the day that we can put uh, sight to our faith. It's in Jesus Christ's great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you. Thanks for being here today. Love you guys.